today on Ag News Daily. Good afternoon and happy Tech Tuesday from the Ag News Daily Podcast. It's Ashton Carr joined by Dawson Schmidt. Dawson, how's it going up there? I'm doing well, Ashton. Trying to ride out the heat again a little bit. I guess yesterday it felt like it was a little cooler. It seemed for the first day of summer, it was not. It was more like spring temperatures. Now I think we're going to get kind of back up to into summer temperatures again uh, until hopefully, I don't know if it's supposed to heat up a lot like it did the last couple of weeks. Dawson, I definitely feel you there. It was in like the mid to high 80s yesterday. And today it's doing the same thing. So I haven't stepped out of my apartment just yet today, but I'm sure that it feels good. Definitely not like the low hundreds that we've been seeing down here in Lubbock for the past couple of days. But folks, we are going to be featuring an interview that we're doing here soon with Ed Valley talking about some weather updates, what's going on, how that's affecting our crop and what we can see hopefully in the near future, maybe around the harvest season. So you'll have to tune in to that tomorrow. But for right now, Dawson, what's some news that you have for us? Well, Ashton, getting right into it and talking about weather and crop conditions, the USDA released their uh, June 21st crop progress report yesterday. And Still showing that drought is really affecting some areas mixed with the hot weather and just overall the crop just seems to not be doing as well. And just kind of getting right into that corn, the corn crop, the USDA rated down three points to 65% uh, in good to excellent condition versus 68% last week. And that's really far down compared to the 72% that we saw a year ago. Uh, kind of moving over to soybeans, the USDA reduced the ratings down to 60% in good to excellent condition, down from 62% last week and 70% a year ago. Now, what was really striking was going over to spring wheat, they saw a huge reduction in their crop ratings down to 27% in good to excellent condition uh, versus 37% last year. And they're saying that this is actually probably the worst crop ratings that they've seen in three in over three decades. And moreover, North Dakota is experiencing only 19% of their spring wheat crop in good to excellent condition, which is, I think, one of the worst recording and one of the worst recordings in history for the uh, spring wheat, wheat crop in the Dakotas. Uh, fortunately, it looks like cotton ratings were actually boosted from last week, seeing a 52%, uh, seeing 52% of their crop in good to excellent condition compared to the 45 they saw last week. Um, and actually ahead of the 40% in good, in good to excellent condition that they saw a year ago. Dawson, I'm glad you stayed on top of those numbers because I did not look at that report. I guess it just slipped my mind. But I did see some folks on Twitter talking about how bad the bean and the corn crop is in the Midwest. So honestly, not too surprised by that. But hopefully there can be some relief, some rain relief here in the future for those who do need it. I mean, 
I, I say that, but I don't really think that there is much in the forecast. But again, Ed Valley is going to give us a little bit of some insider information on what we can expect when it comes to rain and these really dry, hot temperatures over the next couple of weeks. But moving right along here, Dawson, I've got some news as the Senate Ag Committee is going to hold a hearing on the cattle markets tomorrow. Iowa Republican Chuck Grassley says that he's been calling for a hearing to address concerns for months. And during his weekly call with reporters, he says that he continues to hear from family farmers negatively affected by consolidation within the beef industry in particular. He says that cattle producers have every reason to be fed up with anti-competitive practices happening in the marketplace, pointing out that 80% of the slaughter is done by the four biggest meat packers and less than 20% of the daily kill is negotiated on the spot market. But following up with that, Senator Chuck Grassley, along with Senator Mike Rounds and John Tester, announced new bipartisan legislation to address these anti-competitive practices in the meat and the poultry industries that are threatening not only our you know, producers, but our food supply and national security, you know, following the cyber attack on JBS just a couple of weeks prior. But we're hopefully going to be talking to one of these senators within the coming weeks, talking a little bit more about this. So I'm going to leave it right now. But there are things coming. And I, I mean, it, it should have been coming, you know, for, for quite some time now, because there's been so many anti-competitive practices that, that have been going on, at least within the past year. So I'm glad that we're finally getting some movement here. Correct, Ashton. It really sounds like they're, they're really trying to crack down on that. That's been in the works, I believe, for over a year. I remember Chuck Grassley was really sending a lot of stuff on Twitter, uh, sending stuff online about kind of wanting to do something more about that. And it seems like a year later that might actually finally happen. Yeah, it stinks that these things take so much time, but you know, along with that time comes, you know, people who are dedicated to finding a solution and solutions that actually work. So hopefully this is one that does work. Right. And kind of keeping on the lines of cattle, moving over to Argentina, it sounds like the government is starting to reopen some of the beef exports that they uh, imposed after a 30 day ban that was designed to kind of keep prices in check. And that comes from the production minister telling reporters. And so for cuts now they that are being sold abroad, exporters can only ship 50 percent of last year's level. That comes as a quota that even though they're lifting some export bans, they still are trying to keep the exports to a minimum. And that ban will actually stay or that measure will last until August 31st. And the ban will stay in place through December 31st for half carcasses, which actually is a traditional cut that meat packers have been doing is the half carcasses. And the government is try, trying to keep a control on prices, uh, which have actually soared about 60 to 70 percent uh, in the last 12 months through April. Then that was according to government data. Um, and so it's just kind of I'm kind of interested to see on how long that will last and how that will kind of affect maybe what we do over here in America or uh, moving forward with Argentina specifically. And just some more numbers to kind of throw in there. Argentina's overall inflation rate is expected to approach 50% this year. And this is kind of a touchy subject, especially because Argentina is going to have their midterm legislative elections coming in November. And this has been a topic that we've been discussing just over and over again. And there's been, you know, a couple of other things when it comes to strikes and bans that have been going on in Argentina. So 
I think that there's, you know, some things going on, you know, not just in the ag sector, but also politically that we're going to have to keep an eye out on. For sure. Well, Dawson, that was one of my stories as well. So I just have one more to talk about today. And it's about some new funding coming from the USDA. The agency says that $55.2 million in competitive grant funding is available through the new Meat and Poultry Inspection Readiness Grant Program. That's kind of a mouthful to take in there. But the agency, USDA, says that this new program's planning for a federal grant of inspection project is for processing facilities in operation and working toward federal inspection. The program's cooperative interstate shipment compliance program, however, is only open to processing facilities located in states with a food safety and inspection service CIS program. These states currently include Indiana, Iowa, Missouri, Ohio, South Dakota, Wisconsin, Maine, North Dakota, and Vermont. USDA is encouraging grant applications that focus on improving meat and poultry slaughter and processing capacity, developing new and expanding existing markets, and better meeting consumer and producer demand. The agency also suggests applications that maintain strong inspection and food safety standards, obtain a larger commercial presence, and increase access to slaughter or processing facilities for smaller farms and ranches, new and beginning farmers and ranchers, socially disadvantaged producers, and veteran producers. Applications are due by August 2nd, folks. That is still about a month and a half away. But if you're wanting more information or to look at the application, you can go to the USDA's Ag Marketing Services website. They have some more information and application info there. Well, Ashton, I just have one more bit of news here. Going over to the Southwest region, Lake Mead, which spans from Arizona to Nevada and is the primary water supply for millions of people, is experiencing a very crippling drought uh, due to the lack of rainfall that has reached the the U.S. and has really contributed to a lot of the drought areas that you might see on the drought monitor that comes out every week. And TJ Atkin, who is a cattle rancher in the region, said this is the worst that he's ever seen. And most ranchers in his area said that this is probably the worst that they've seen in at least 85 years. And while they say they can't control Mother Nature, this is starting to become a real issue as uh, Atkin has actually had to displace about 80 percent of his cattle uh, over the past couple of months, trying to either sell them or just trying to move them to a place where they can find water as the ranch relies on uh, some reservoirs that are in the area. Uh, Atkins says that there's about 200 of those reservoirs uh, and every single one of them is dry right now. And they're really hoping for some sort of monsoon to come that just brings on some wet weather and kind of replenishes these uh, lakes and river basins. Atkins says that kind of moving forward, if they're not going to see some some rain here real soon that it could probably impact the many parts of the country. I know the Hoover Dam is having some issues right now. I think they're operating about only or 25% less than what they're used to just due to less water in the area. And it's just becoming such a problem in different parts of the region that is affecting many many different sectors besides agriculture. Yeah, that sounds really devastating. Dawson, have you ever been down and around Arizona or that area? You know, that's on the list, but I have not. 
I mean, they, it's a notorious area, of course, for being dry and hot. And especially in the summer, I think it's pretty miserable. So I'm really hoping that they do get some rain. I mean, it sounds like pretty much the entirety of the U.S. needs some rain right now. But Dawson, you're out of news. I'm all out of news. What do you say we hop into the markets? I'd say let's get right into them. Well, getting into the markets here, there's a lot of red on the screen. So I'm just going to go ahead and bite the bullet, jump right into it here in the corn. The July contract up half a cent to close at 6.59 and three quarter cents. The December down 18 cents to close at 5.39 flat. And soybeans starting out here in July down 20 and a half cents to close at 13.94 and a half. The November down 17 cents to close at 13.02 and a quarter. Here in the wheat, the July contract down 10 and a half cents to close at 6.51. The December down nine and a half cents to close at 6.61. Heading over into livestock. In live cattle, the June contract up to 12 and a half to close at 123 and 10 cents. The August up to 15 to close at 123, 17 and a half. The October up 172 and a half to close at 128, 37 and a half. In feeder cattle, the August contract, again, some green right here as we look into feeder cattle, but the August contract up $3.25 to close at $158.35. The September up $2.97.5 to close at $160.35. And the October contract up $2.80 to close at $162.12.5. And lean hogs mixed trade here. In the July contract up $0.47.5 to close at $107.53. The August up two and a half cents to close at 103.70 in the October down five cents to close at 85.40 rounding things off in the dairy markets class three dairy milk futures the June contract up two cents to close at 17.33 the July up three cents to close at 16.49 and the August down 16 cents to close at 16.83 and with that I'm going to go ahead and kick it over to our Tech Tuesday conversation this is coming from World Pork Expo coverage we were talking about AgView with National Pork Board Do you know your break-even for every group of cattle on feed? Performance beef users have quick access to real-time accurate data. The technology simplifies feeding to financial data, making it easy to generate real-time closeouts, update rations, or analyze performance trends all in one place. Your feed, financial, and health information are integrated in one easy-to-use platform accessible from your computer, smartphone, or tablet. Find Performance Beef online to learn more and request a demo. ...who is the National Pork Board's Chief Vet and Al Wolfpool, who is a Iowa pork producer. We're talking to these guys here about AgView. So, gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having us. So, Dave, I kind of want to talk to you about your background first, and then Al will head on over and mm -hmm. talk to you. Just sure. give us the 10,000-foot view, just a little bit about yourself. Okay. I am Chief Veterinarian for the National Pork Board, and my team at the National Pork Board works on swine health and animal production issues. And what we've really concentrated on for the last couple of years has been especially working on foreign animal disease prevention, foreign animal disease response and preparedness work uh, for our industry. 
Awesome. And Al, let's hear you. Yeah, I'm a, a pig farmer from eastern Iowa, Farrow to Finish operation. Uh, I have a background in contract managing other sow farms besides running our own farm and running a records bureau. I'm on uh, different uh, foreign animal disease task forces and I'm on the, uh, I'm a chair of the National Swine Disease Council. I got on National Pork Board in November and asked immediately if I could be part of AgView because I saw the potential of it. Awesome. Well, let's get into what AgView is. I think people are kind of anxious to hear about yeah. that. Sounds like we're dealing with some foreign animal diseases. So Dave, why don't you go ahead and uh, give us what uh, AgView is all about? Okay. Well, the lucky thing, or not lucky, the good thing is that we're not dealing with foreign animal diseases right now. But AgView is, is a system that we're putting into place in case we have to respond to a foreign animal disease. It is a checkoff funded, absolutely voluntary system for the industry to use to assist state veterinarians with that foreign animal disease response. What it does is it takes the records that producers have, the premises and the movement records primarily, and it puts them into a secure system, only visible by the producers until we have that outbreak and until they grant permission for the state veterinarian to see their data. But if they do that, then it'll take that movement and that premises data and it'll move it into the uh, dashboard for the state veterinarians so they can use that information to better their response to a foreign animal disease. They can figure out more quickly where disease likely is versus where it's likely not. Where should I deploy my resources to do surveillance, to do containment, and eventually to do eradication to assist our industry with quicker responding to a foreign animal disease and quicker getting out from under a foreign animal disease. Dave, I just have a follow-up here real quickly. Where did you guys initially see the need to have something like AgView? Well, where we saw it was, as I said, we're, we haven't dealt with a foreign animal disease for some time now, but we've seen other industries have to deal with foreign animal diseases, and really the bottleneck as they worked on it was getting those producer records, those movement records that were in the hands of producers to the state veterinarian so they could make some decisions. They were having to do things like faxes and running paper records or scanning things in and sending to the state vet. And we said, hey, we can do better than that. We can have real-time records in place so the state vet, as soon as they need them, can ask for permission to see them and then start using them immediately upon the need in a response. That's fantastic. I definitely agree that we probably needed something that was a little bit more fast-paced. And that being said, Al, where did your operation come into play with AgView? So... As a pig farmer that spent my life caring for and taking care of pigs, there's nothing worse than a disease coming into your barns and, and you have sick pigs and dead pigs and you can't do anything about it, right? African swine fever is like the worst disease out there. It's almost 100% mortality. It is something I don't ever want to see in the United States. And in my lifetime, we've had different diseases come from other countries into this country. We've had PERS, we've had circovirus, we've had PED. We've never been able to stop them. They get in here, they get out of control, and we can't eradicate it. I have this dream of working with people like Dr. Pyburn and on the AgView steering committee that I want to be part of the group that the next time we get a foreign animal disease into this country, that we can find it, and we can trace where it's going, we can work with the diagnostic labs and the state veterinarians, and we can stamp it out before it gets out of control. I don't know which one of you gentlemen wants to answer this question, but when we're talking about the kinds of operations that AgView is working with, are we looking at more large-scale operations, or can you know a, a smaller pig farmer somewhere use AgView as well to help prepare, mitigate, and uh, all that good stuff that AgView offers? We need everyone to participate. Anybody that raises pigs, whether they're a small farm, large farm, large system, 
niche farmer, uh, show pig, you know, wh whoever raises pigs, we need all that information because we don't know where these outbreaks are going to start. We don't know where they're going to spread to. So the state veterinarians needs to have all of that information so they can make smart decisions in response. Al, have you seen any benefits as of yet? I mean, we haven't seen African swine fever come in or anything like that to you know our U.S. herds, but just using AgView, have you seen any benefits thus far? So we put our farm into AgView uh, right away when I got on the committee. And AgView is a records bureau that has the records ready in case of crisis. So I'm hoping we never have to use them to answer your question, Ashton. But history tells us we're going to, right? So as a producer, I, I just feel it's my duty to work with the state vets and help them so we can find the next virus and stamp it out. So to answer your question, it's something, it's like an insurance policy that I know it's there in time of crisis and I know it works because I've been part of the steering committee and we worked our tails off to get it to work. Our, our passion is make it as easy as possible for producers to get information into it and as easy as possible once we say yes for state veterinarians and USDA officials to get information out. And because to make this work, we need everybody, like Dr. Pybrin says, to participate and we need to be able to trace the virus. We need to be able to do the diagnostics. We need to be able to circle the sites where we find it, notify all those producers, do more diagnostics, trace the movements, do diagnostics. If we find it somewhere else, we have to do more diagnostics. In the event of a foreign animal disease, there's a 72 hour shutdown of the entire country in movements. And the goal is to accomplish this in 72 hours. And if we don't have accurate, quick information, it's going to be very difficult to do. So I'm just, I'm proud to be part of that effort and uh, I hope everyone participates. It sounds like it's going to be a great safety net. If we ever have to use that, I'm yep. right there with you guys. I sincerely hope that we don't ever have to, to use something like this, but it's great that we have the technology to do exactly. so if that were to ever happen. And if African swine fever or any other foreign animal disease were ever to come into the U.S., it would have a very detrimental economic impact. I mean, we've already seen that in Asia and Eastern Europe with African swine fever. So let's talk about the economic impact a little bit. How is AgView going to hopefully prevent us from having too large of an economic impact? Yeah, so the, when you start talking about economic impact of a foreign animal disease outbreak in the, in the pork industry, you're talking about billions of dollars lost. There'll be billions of dollars lost due to pig, pig mortality, as well as due to the loss of export markets. And then we, we, uh, once we lose those ex export markets, we will see pig prices and pork prices tumble because we'll have an oversupply. Um, so how AgView helps with that is, is really through making the records available right away. That's why we talk about real time, do it now, get it in ahead of time, so state veterinarians can more quickly contain, so hopefully we don't have near as much spread of disease, but also it will tell the state veterinarians where to go and look as far as needing to eradicate. And so through those, we will more quickly be able to respond to that foreign animal disease, more quickly get it back out of the country, more quickly get back to normal for our industry as far as in the, in the uh, export market. Uh, the other thing that it can do too is AgView will have a, a lot of information on where disease likely isn't. You'll see that pig movements didn't connect up to certain areas of the country so you'll know that well, it's likely the pig, the, the disease didn't make it there. And so the USDA can use that information 
when they start to negotiate regionalizations with our export partners and potentially get us partially back into those export markets while we're still working to eradicate the disease here. Well, gentlemen, it's been fantastic talking to you, and I think that conversations like this need to be held so that producers know what to do in case anything were to ever happen, and I sincerely thank you both for your work with AgView, and good luck to both of you in the future. Thanks, Thanks Ashton. Ashton. Thanks again there to National Pork Board for not only having, you know, media present and able to actually be at this event, but for sitting down and talking to me personally. It was very great to be there. We got to interview in this itty bitty trailer that looks like a little production TV kind of room. So it was really fun to be there. But again, thank you so much to those people who came on and joined us to talk about AgView. I think it's definitely going to be one that does help the pork industry, especially as you know, concerns of African swine fever rise. I mean, China, of course, is still dealing with African swine fever. Hopefully it never does come over here, but if it does, we have tools like AgView that could potentially help us protect against that disease. But folks, we are gonna be talking about weather and some other coverage this week. So be sure to tune in at agnewsdaily.com and follow along so you never miss any of those stories at Ag News Daily on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. With that, Dawson, should we let the people go? Let's let them go.